seated. It's so good to be here tonight. Amen. Good to see each and every one of you. Welcome home, some of our weary travelers. Glad you made it back for the weekend. Amen. We're so glad to have you. And uh, we're excited about what God is doing. I uh, would like to mention that tonight, the Bible study, uh, most of the slides are going to be behind me, but you can also uh, access them through the electronic bulletin. Uh, all you have to do basically is pull that up. It's just like you do it on Sunday, uh, but you'll be able to follow along with the slides tonight. But I do want to uh, go through some things tonight, and uh, I'm thankful for what God's doing. Why don't we just, before we get started, why don't we just pray and ask God to minister to our hearts, amen, and to our spirit from His Word tonight, that we would be open and receptive to His Word. Can we do that? Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight. God, we thank you for each and every one that has gathered to hear your word, to worship you, and to study your word together. We pray, God, that you would bless uh, each and every one of us, God, to not just hear, but to understand and to apply your word to our lives. And God, that you would speak to us from your word tonight. And God, that we would receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. So what I want to do for the next uh, little bit is I want us to take a simple, honest, open-minded look at what the scriptures say about salvation. Uh, for those of you that maybe you have already heard this or this uh, is familiar to you, um, just keep in mind that we're not just, this is not just for those of us that are here. There are people that are also watching online and we welcome you. We are glad that you are watching us online. But uh, anytime you go through the scriptures and anytime you talk about salvation, uh, it is a valuable time. Amen? Amen. So this is not supposed to degrade or uh, cause anybody else to feel like, you know, that they're not important. Uh, when you make a move toward Jesus Christ and you want to put him first in your life, that is the most important decision of your life. Uh, God always responds to a sincere uh, attempt or a sincere effort uh, to get closer to him. And I have found this, that he always rewards people that seek after him. The scripture even says that, right? That God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so uh, the point of what we're going to do tonight and probably even uh, next Thursday night is very important because a lot of times we take some of these things for granted because religion takes people down a path takes them down a path that ultimately ends in disappointment. And we don't want uh, to seem overly or be overly religious. This study that we're going to do is not about religion. It is about getting closer to God and allowing God to show us through his word uh, what salvation is all about. Man has kind of confused it. Man has frustrated other uh, men by the way that they have put their own stipulations to things. The scripture says that we should rightly divide the word of God, but many have incorrectly divided God's word. They place an emphasis on certain scriptures, and uh, basically they have made a roadmap saying many different things, uh, and the Bible does contain many mysteries. There are some we will never fully understand, but the way, way of salvation is very clear. How we are to be saved, what we are to do to obey and to follow God's word is very clear. As you will see when we walk through the scriptures in chronological order, only one message of salvation is possible. So this is a study that we're going to look through. I want you just to open your heart and your mind as we go through this. There is a personal responsibility that comes to all of us. Uh, the church is not responsible for your salvation, amen? Uh, you are responsible for your salvation. As much as I would love to give you the Holy Ghost, as much as I would love to put you under forcibly into the waters of baptism, that is not how we do things. It does not work that way. 
Uh, when it comes to our salvation, the Bible places responsibility squarely upon you. 2 Peter 1.10 says, Give diligence to make your calling and election serve, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Whether you agree or you disagree, uh, by taking the time to read through the Word of God with me, uh, you are giving diligence to the greatest need in your life, and that need is salvation. Amen. If you are watching online with us, I encourage you, pull up a second window that you can look up these scriptures or uh, take the time to pull out a Bible if you have one and look at these scriptures with us. Philippians 2.12 tells us to work out our own salvation, not somebody else's and not wait on the church to fix it for me. Amen. The priest can't save you. The pastor can't save you. You have to work out your own salvation. It's between you and God. So as individuals, we must lay aside any denominational bias and personal preconceptions that we have, maybe from what we were taught as we were brought up, uh, and study the Word of God with an open heart and an open mind and work out our own salvation with the understanding that this is the single most important thing we will ever do in our lives. Choosing your career, you thought that was a big deal. Choosing your spouse, you thought that was a big deal. Working out your own salvation, it's the biggest deal. Amen. If you don't do this, the rest, everything else, it just really, it, it's kind of just, you know, whatever. Uh, it's not going to really matter. All in the long run, it's probably not going to even amount to much. But when you decide, I want to work out my own salvation. How many of you have ever taken the time uh, to simply uh, just check up what has been taught you? Amen. You have to, you have to take some time to study what has been taught you. You have to look it up and make sure that you have objectively explored the Scripture for yourself. Don't just take my word. That's why I'm saying get the Bible out. Amen. Pull up a second screen if you're watching this online and, and, and pull a Bible up and, and look through these Scriptures with us. Uh, a lot of times people join a church because they like the pastor. Uh, they enjoy what they felt. They were encouraged by what they heard. They were uplifted. They had friends, whatever. But a lot of times they just go to that church and they just accept whatever that church says is the plan of salvation. Amen. But that's not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is get out your Bible. Find out what the Bible says. Don't say, well, this is what my church believes. No. What does your Bible say? Amen. That's why this is so important. Proverbs tells us that there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Amen, Proverbs 16, 25. We've got to make certain that our salvation is completely scriptural and not just what seems right or what feels good. Amen. It's not religiously correct to say it. The Bible teaches narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it, Matthew 7, 14. The only people that find it are the people who are looking for it. Amen. There's something about the salvation journey that kind of takes us off the broad road and it puts us on the narrow path. We can't follow the crowd. We can't worry about what others may do. We've got to work out our own salvation. Everybody say, my salvation, with fear and trembling. We've got to give greatest diligence, amen, to the greatest calling in our lives, which is to know we are saved according to his word. So here's the good news. The good news is God has always had a plan. God was never without a plan. His plan has always been very specific. It has always afforded uh, us an opportunity to get to Him, but it has never afforded us multiple ways to get to Him. 
Amen. It's always been very specific. We can go all the way back to the beginning of God's Word to understand this. Why would we go all the way back to Genesis? Well, just let, let's quickly remember back to the beginning of His Word that, that we have. God accepted Abel's offering, but He rejected Cain's, right? Cain was a farmer. As a farmer, he brought the fruit of the ground as a sacrifice. Uh, Cain was bringing something that was important to him and something that he had worked to produce, yet God rejects it. Because it's not according to his divine plan. Are you with me so far? So to our own human reasoning, we could uh, think, well, what Cain brought, wasn't, should, that should have been good enough. Uh, but in God's eyes and to uh, what God had chosen, it was not what he required. And so we've got to understand we cannot rely on what seems right what makes rational sense to us. We must very carefully understand it really matters what he says, what he wants. And we've got to totally rely on what has never changed, and that is the Word of God. Amen. It doesn't matter uh, what, what so-and-so told you or what you were brought up believing. It really doesn't matter what any other church or denomination has said. The only thing that matters is what does the Word say. When God told Noah he was going to destroy the world, Amen. What happened? He gave him exact specifications on how to build the ark, did he not? I mean, really, he, he was very specific. God did not offer Noah, well, I want you to just kind of build this big old boat, whatever you, whatever you think is good. No, God did not offer Noah a general concept. He gave him a very specific and detailed instruction list. When we study the tabernacle plan in the Old Testament, we find there was a certain order and specific directions that God gave to them, amen? And uh, they had to do this, and specific things had to take place in order for sins to be forgiven. The priest could not alter this. In fact, if the priest messed up and he went in, he would not live. God was that serious about it. He had to follow the specific and detailed plan that was laid out for him by God. Amen. The Bible clearly tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews 13 and 8. We have not arrived at this dispensation that we're in right now, this time period, to find that all of a sudden, God is, God is just kind of offering a buffet line of whatever we choose for our salvation. I, this, this, this notion that is out there right now of relative truth, that's hogwash. That is a, deceit, a deceitful lie, and it's from the enemy of your soul. There is no relative truth. There is truth and there is untruth. Amen. Amen. Just because things have changed in time does not mean the truth changes. Amen. You know, some people want us to believe that just because, you know, there's enough people believing that the sky is red, that the sky is red. Well, it's all relative. No, it's not relative. You have to understand this. God is very specific. He is very clear. So let's kind of build a foundation. If you would, go with me to 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Everything that endures is built on a solid foundation, right? The foundation that we're going to use for this uh, over the next couple of weeks is going to be the Word of God. He's going to give us uh, some, some instruction here. First, uh, 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 3.16, all Scripture, by say all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. If we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, 
And if we are to make our calling and election sure, we must first be certain that we take all the Scriptures that are related to salvation and doctrine. We cannot pick and choose the Scriptures we're familiar with or just the select ones that fall within our comfort zone. Amen. And still be assured of salvation. We have to look at all the Scriptures, so that's what we're going to do. So the first step in an objective study of salvation is to take all Scripture. Everybody say all Scripture. Not just some Scripture, not just the ones we like, not just Acts 2.38. Amen. All Scripture. So the second step is that once we've taken all Scripture, we rightly divide the Word of God. Amen. So again, you can follow along with the electronic bulletin tonight. So first of all, uh, we have all Scripture. The second thing, 2 Timothy 2.15, tells us, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. I find it funny that some people that say that they are rightly dividing the Word of truth accuse other people of not rightly dividing the word of truth. And so they twist everything, right? We're not going to twist anything. We're going to read the scripture. We're going to let you figure that out for yourself because that's between you and God. But in the above scripture, Paul is instructing Timothy on the importance of correctly dividing the word of God. Since Paul spoke it uh, of a right way to divide, it's obvious that there's a wrong way to divide. So if we're going to rightly divide, then we have to explore what, uh, about salvation, what, what God says about salvation, what the book says about salvation, one book at a time. And I think we should be aware of the chronological order. That means the order in which it was written and the events that the New Testament occurred. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So in this study, we're going to start with the four Gospels. Are you ready? It's not going to be hard. Uh, I'm not going to try to overdo it tonight. We're just going to go uh, at a good steady pace. First of all, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right, which records what? All the words of Christ, okay? We're going to examine all the things that Jesus says in relation to salvation, and then we'll go to the next book. The next book is the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts, this is the book where the church first began, right? So in the book of Acts, we're going to see where the things that Christ taught during his ministry are being totally fulfilled. All right. So the final scripture that we're going to use as part of our foundation is found in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 2 and 3. It says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Hebrews 2, 3. Hebrews plainly lays out the formula for this great salvation. Number one, find out what was first spoken by the Lord, which will take us to the four Gospels. Correct? Second thing, Find out what was confirmed by those that heard him. The only place we can find this confirmation is actually in the book of Acts. Man, you guys are smart. So following this formula, we are going to see an incredible picture of fulfillment and confirmation of this great salvation spoken of in Hebrews 2.3. Very simply put, we're about to see what the Lord spoke, and then we're going to follow those that heard him speak those things and what message they confirm. Now, before some of you get all uh, excited and say, but, but what about the, the uh, epistles and what about everything after the book of Acts? Uh, if you look through those epistles in almost every one of them, you'll find something about the church, written to the church, right? So it's very easy when you understand Jesus is speaking his whole uh, life uh, contents, all the words that he spoke you know, they're all wrapped up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
Then in the book of Acts, you see the church starting. You see the, the apostles and the early church beginning and doing the work, amen, seeing the work of the early church. But then you see Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All those books were written to the church in Rome, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Galatia, to the church at Colossae. To the, are you with me? What, is, what does that mean? What does that mean to us? Well, that helps us understand. When they get these books and they read these books, what were they reading? They were reading things that were written for the church. The church was people who were already saved, not people who were going to be saved, people who were already saved. When we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we're, we're seeing pre-salvation. We're seeing those that are being uh, told about salvation, the kingdom coming, and all this wonderful stuff, and, and that it's, it's ahead, it's, it's on its way. But then in the book of Acts, we see it actually fulfilled. All right? So let's, let, let's kind of look at this foundation. What separates this, what we're doing from a lot of other studies is uh, three foundational scriptures, okay? When we look objectively at what was spoken by the Lord, it's, it's really important that we take all scripture and not just John 3.16. Amen? John 3.16, it states that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. While believing is very important, Christian, uh, being a Christian and, and, and being who Christ intends us to be is more than just believing, there's more than just believing. That's obviously why the study is called Beyond Belief. So once we have understood the words of Christ, we must then look to those who heard Him. And what do their words and actions confirm? This forces us to rightly divide the Word of God by going to the very next book, which is the book of Acts. And there's no jigsaw puzzle to put together in the book of Acts. It's very plain. We don't leave out certain scriptures or we don't have to jump around. There's no real mystery to solve. We're simply going to let the chronological events unfold and reveal this so great salvation. So when we begin studying salvation, the logical thing to do is go to where Jesus is speaking, right? We go and we examine thoroughly the words of the one who spoke them and that, you know, we understand uh, that he's going to be our judge someday. So we want to go by his words, right? If you were going to stand before a judge, you would want to know what was, what was pleasing to him, what made him happy, uh, in order that you don't get expelled or, you know, whatever, uh, from, from that, that uh, courtroom. So when we're going before the judge, we want to go back to what the judge said, and we want to make sure that we fulfill everything that he said. We don't want to just take man's word for it. So let's study his teachings, and let's show ourselves approved unto God. So the next four verses are taken directly from the Gospels. They're all words of Jesus. These verses record Christ's directives and teachings that will lead us to make our calling and election sure. In addition to these, uh, more scriptures that reinforce and repeat are going to, I'll, I'll give these to you, uh, but I want you to take your Bible, just follow along. If you have your uh, app up, I want you to read. Don't just look at the screen. Sometimes that's the easy route. I want you to get interactive here, okay? Take your Bible and let's look and see what each book records. Matthew 16 is the first place we're going. Matthew 16. And let's read verses 18 and 19. Matthew 16, 18 and 19. Jesus' words, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So here we find something that's critical for our salvation in our search for salvation. Jesus puts an amazing amount of trust in Peter. Because Peter understood who Jesus was, he was given the keys, right? The keys of the kingdom of heaven. These keys were not a literal set of keys. These keys are the words that Peter would speak. Whatever Peter binds, whatever he looses, will be backed by the kingdom of God. If we truly desire to be part of the kingdom of heaven, wouldn't it make sense for us to follow the one who has the keys to unlock the door? If you really want to get in, wouldn't you go with the one who's got the keys? Amen. So, I think Peter should be one of the ones that we really watch and listen to when it comes to our salvation, because Peter was the one that Jesus trusted to show us the way. Amen? So, understand, Jesus is now bound by His Word. If Peter preaches anything that contradicts what Jesus has already taught, then we have a problem. But as we will see, there is no contradiction, only an incredible confirmation in Peter's ministry. Many people turn to the writings of Paul to explain salvation. Have you noticed that? A lot of people say, well, Paul's, you know, blah, 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 and Paul was better, and Paul was superior. But Paul was not given the keys to the kingdom. Many people uh, will say, you know, Paul was, uh, you know, a great man of God. He was an apostle. He wrote many powerful things in his letters. He did not arrive on the scene until after the plan of salvation was already given. And it had already been clearly established. Paul was never the, given the keys to the kingdom. So why would we dismiss or explain away anything that Peter preached or taught solely because Paul's teachings or writings seem to be something a little different. They, they're not, but they might seem to be because Paul was writing to the church who was already saved. Not telling them how to get saved, they were already saved. Am I boring you yet? You okay? All right. So if we study the teachings of Paul, we'll find out Paul actually obeyed and confirmed what Peter preached. Again, we've got to rightly divide the Word of God. So now that we've established that Christ entrusted Peter with the keys to the kingdom of heaven, let's go to the next scripture, which is Mark 16, 16. This is what Jesus taught his disciples about salvation. He says, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Here Jesus ties two things to being saved. Believe and you must be baptized. He didn't say, he that believeth shall be saved. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Since Jesus used the conjunction and, we got to pick up, you know, I choose to believe. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe there's a heaven and hell. I believe you need to do what's right. I just choose to believe. Okay, well, that's good. But does that negate the necessity of being baptized? Not according to Jesus. Jesus prevent, uh, presents this believing and baptism as equally important, doesn't he? Many have said, well, baptism's a good thing, but it's not necessarily, uh, you don't have to do it. It's not a requirement for salvation. Have you heard somebody say that? I have many times. People have, you know, argued with me. Well, you know, being baptized is great, but you really don't have to do that. You just have to believe. Well, not only is it absolutely 
necessary for salvation, but we're going we're gonna to see this. There is a specific formula as well as how we're supposed to be baptized. Amen. Uh, there's not just a specific formula. There's a specific purpose for baptism, and it's all clearly recorded in Scripture. So along with believing in baptism, Jesus also points us to Jerusalem, where two very important elements of our salvation are going to be preached, repentance and remission of sins. So let's look at Luke 24, 47, because Jesus references Old Testament Scriptures that are written about the Messiah, and He explains to the disciples that these Scriptures are referring to Him. This is what He says, verse 47, Luke 24, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. At the very core of our salvation experience, our sins must be dealt with, right? So to repent and have our sins totally remitted through Jesus' name is a critical message. The fact that Jesus tells us these things will be preached beginning at Jerusalem, don't overlook that point. Amen. In the following scripture, look at Luke John, I'm sorry, look at John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. Jesus tells us what will happen when we believe as the scripture directs us to believe. Verse 38, John 7. He that believeth on me, not however he wants to, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He goes on to explain this, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, not had received, they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen. So in these verses, Jesus teaches that when we believe according to the Scripture, we should receive the Holy Ghost. The problem uh, with a common but faulty interpretation of salvation lies in the fact that many people believe but have negated the necessity of the Holy Ghost. Amen. They align their belief with only certain uh, select scriptures. Remember what we said, 2 Timothy 3.16 instructs us all scripture is profitable for doctrine. As we will see when we incorporate all Scripture and we believe on Him, as the Scripture has said, the Holy Ghost is promised, amen, something promised, and it is a sign of our true belief. So let me summarize here. We have just walked through the Gospels. We have just studied what Jesus taught during His ministry. Let me, let me summarize. Number one. What did he say? The, that salvation, the salvation message would begin where? At Jerusalem in Luke 24, 47. He said that who has the keys in Matthew 6, 18 and 19? Peter has the keys. Number three, he says we must do what? Believe, Mark 16, 16, John 7, 38. We must repent, Luke 24, 47, Right? And then we must be baptized, Mark 16, 16. Number six, what is it? Remission of sins would be in Jesus' name, in His name, Luke 24, 47. And that believers, if we believe, if there was true belief, we should do what? Receive the Holy Ghost, John 7, 38. Amen. So... This is, uh, this is pretty interesting, isn't it? Anybody, anybody think that you've, uh, think that we've gone too fast? Everybody all right so far? 
Amen. You have more slides back there, Joe? Are you ready? All right. So now that we've seen that what was first spoken by the Lord, we'll find in Scripture that there are those who confirmed His teaching. All right, let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. You got that one? Look at this. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus had just spent forty days after his resurrection speaking to his disciples about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. After 40 days of intense teaching with the resurrected Savior, I can only imagine. I mean, just think about how awesome that must have been. Can you imagine? I mean, that's why we struggle because we, you know, like, like uh, Brother Whitley said, you know, we just have a few debatable beliefs. Man, can you imagine being able to be with the resurrected Savior in the flesh? It would be awesome. But I doubt that they were confused about what he wanted them to do. Therefore, what happens in the next few chapters is exactly what God had in mind. When you read Acts 1, 2, and 3, you can piece it all together very easily. Remember, this great salvation was going to be confirmed by them that heard him, Hebrews 2, 3. We must understand these disciples were the very first ones that had heard him. In verse 9, after his final words to his disciples, Jesus ascends. Look at verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now for the first time, everything that he had lived and died for is ready to be put in action. Watch what happens next. Acts 1.12. We walk through the Scriptures just as the events occurred. Then returned they unto Jerusalem. Wow. From the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, they returned unto Jerusalem. Remember Luke 24, 47, Jesus said they were going to be first preached at Jerusalem. I want to make sure we're following the message correctly. we got to start at the beginning, not somewhere in the middle. Now we're at the right place where Jesus said the message of repentance and remission of sins would be preached for the first time. Are you with me? Now let's go to the next chapter. They returned to Jerusalem. They're gathering in an upper room. Waiting for the promise of the Father, Jesus told them was coming. The Holy Ghost falls on them, and they begin to speak in other tongues. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, right? The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all in one place, one accord. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. So what is going on here? Let's look at what happens next. This is what just happened. Let's look at what happens next. A multitude gathers, and notice what the Bible says in verses 12 and 13 of Acts chapter 2. And they were all amazed, and they were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. At this point, there are people who are in doubt and mocking. Those people were not believers. Remember what Jesus taught? He taught we must believe in order to be saved. So let's, let's again, let's review the elements just to make sure we have the entire picture. After Jesus' resurrection, he has spent an additional 40 days teaching and training his disciples. He then ascended after which he returned, they returned to Jerusalem now for the first time, for the very first time since they had fulfilled what Jesus told them 
to do, unbelievers are present. Now watch what happens. Dun, 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 dun. Chapter 2, verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Who responded to the doubters and the mockers and the unbelievers? The guy with the keys. Remember in Matthew 16, 19, uh, it was Peter that was given those keys. Notice that it comes together in just a few verses. They're in the right place with the right man preaching to the first time where unbelievers are present. Let's see what happens. Peter begins to preach to them. Verses 14 through 36 is a nice long message. Observe what happens in verse 37 after Peter is finished preaching. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter has now taken the doubters and mockers from unbelief to where they now believe. They are no longer mocking, but instead they're asking, what do we need to do? And remember, this great salvation is going to be confirmed by them that heard him. This question by the unbelievers of what shall we do is asked to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, the ones that just spent 40 days with the resurrected Savior. Understand what has happened to this point. They're in the right place, Jerusalem. They now have the right man, Peter. Amen. Unbelievers have been taken to the point where they now believe and they're asking, what shall we do? And number four, for the first time since Jesus' ascension, salvation is being taught to the lost world. Look, folks, it's not rocket science. Amen. But to skip this verse and go to any other scripture about salvation would not be rightly dividing the word. And so in answer to the question, what shall we do, Peter, with the man with the plan, the man with the keys is about to open up unto us the kingdom of heaven. He presents a plan that will either confirm or contradict the teachings of Jesus Christ. As we are about to see, there is no contradiction, but an amazing picture of fulfillment. Notice this is what Peter responds. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In Acts, verse, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter is giving the specific answer of what they must do after they have believed. Isn't, it's not a coincidence, it's not just ironic that these three things fulfill exactly what Jesus taught. He said repentance, Luke 24, 47. He said baptism, Matthew 16 and 16. In the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, in Luke 24, 47. And he also said receiving the Holy Ghost in John chapter 7, verse 38. Woo! Slam dunk! I mean, there's... There's no way around it. Let's, let's go back to what Hebrews 2.3 says. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? More powerful now, isn't it? If you, if you look at this, and I, I think we're about done. How many, we, how many more we got, Joe? That's about it? That's all we got? That's it. One more. This table, I want you to look at this table. This is an overview of what was spoken by the Lord, and here are the, the, the corresponding confirmations by Peter and the apostles to them that heard him. 
First of all, what was spoken by the Lord? Repentance, Luke 24, 47. It was confirmed by Peter and the apostles, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Baptism, Mark chapter 16, and 16 was spoken by Jesus. What corresponds to that? Baptism, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Luke 24, 47, remission of sins in his name, Luke 24, 47. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Believers receiving the Holy Ghost by Jesus in John 7, 38, you shall receive the Holy Ghost if you uh, repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I don't know about you, but this is pretty interesting to me because in just a few verses, Peter, the man with the keys, fulfills everything Jesus taught in his ministry regarding salvation and what it takes in order to be part of the kingdom of heaven. When we take all the Scripture and we rightly divide the Word of God, we study what was taught by the Lord and what was confirmed by the ones that heard Him, then the, uh, the obvious or the logical conclusion is that Acts 2.38 is the only possible method for salvation. Right? But, but let's just assume, okay, just for a moment, somebody might not be convinced of these three obvious steps listed in Acts 2.38 that maybe that's more of a suggestion than an actual plan of salvation. So if we take a second look at what Christ uh, not only taught, but what He exampled, we will see the beauty of truth and how God's salvation plan is not only repeated, but it is confirmed throughout Scripture. Now, I'm going to stop right there, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. Amen. Now, before we finish, does anybody have any questions? It's dangerous for me to do that, but if you have questions. All right. Acts 2.38 is the only way. Amen? It is uh, confirmed in Scripture, and we're going to go over, we're going to go over additional evidence, and uh, we're going to be talking about some of these important things all through the book of Acts, and uh, even beyond that confirm that plan of salvation is for us today. Amen? Amen. We have a very, very excellent weekend coming.